0: Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie.
1: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the
0: past. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast.
1: My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani, and we're just happy you're here. Happy December. Um, hope everyone's enjoying their Spotify wrapped season yes. <laughs> that's what we were talking about before we started um I
0: mentioned that for the be- first part of the year I let my little brother use my Spotify which means that my Spotify for wrapped is a disaster so <laughs> it's not as exciting for me this year so it, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. <laughs>
1: that's okay next year right yes exactly yeah next
0: year it should be better
1: also major thank you um for those who don't know like if you're a songwriter or like a podcaster you also get like your own little wrapped for your thing mm-hmm. that you create and we got our little Spotify wrapped for more than a Muse. And there are twenty one of you who listen to our podcast more than any other, which sounds like such a small number, but no, I have no idea so cool. who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, thank you. Like, thank you so much. That's so sweet. And for the rest of you, step up your game. Come on. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and too, if any if we happen to hit this your Spotify for wrapped top five, anything like that, let us know because that's truly amazing.
1: It really is. Um, It just feels really cool. It's like we're so small and Mm -hmm. it's cool to see that like people are enjoying what we do. And yeah, because we enjoy doing it. Yes, we do. And it's fun because we're moving into Christmas season and I'm getting to talk about someone today that I feel like is just the antithesis of Christmas for me and my whole family, which is exciting Um, because today we're talking about Karen Carpenter.
0: Oh, okay i didn't know we were talking about her i love her okay yes exactly like oh my gosh
1: and if you haven't listened to her then definitely go turn on the carpenters yeah Uh, the carpenter christmas album is yeah one of the best that's what i was just about to say it's like the best christmas album ever her voice is literally angelic.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: studying for this, I learned so much about her that I didn't know, which is so cool. Um kind of like a trigger warning off the bat. Obviously, if you've heard of Karen Carpenter, it's probably related to the fact that she did pass away from her eating disorder, which has become like a major headline, I feel like, attached to her for a lot of different reasons. I don't want the whole thing to focus on that. So I we're only gonna talk about it towards the end when we talk about her death. And I'm not planning on going in depth about a lot of it. If you want to like like research in depth more about like all of the different medical reasons why her heart failed and she actually did die from anorexia and bulimia it's there you can definitely go find it it'll literally tell you exactly what she did and how much she weighed and all that jazz Mm -hmm. I don't think it's important to her and her career as a person no so it will come up a little bit towards the end but I'm hoping it's not going to be triggering for anyone in any way and if it is it'll be more towards the very end of it so you can enjoy a beautiful story about an amazing vocalist until maybe it gets too hard for you and then you can turn it off
0: and so well and you'll mention it I'm sure right before you start talking about it of course so yeah
1: do what's best for you take care of yourself and your mental health and your body and if that's a problem then feel free to skip the whole thing if you need to Mm -hmm. but just letting you know I'm trying to make this as good as possible for everyone who's listening because there's so much about her and she's not only her eating disorder and I just feel like anyway her story is just incredible so should we get into it or yeah. is there anything else I don't cool. know I think okay. so let's yeah let's talk about it awesome okay so Karen Ann Carpenter was born on March 2nd 1950 at Grace New Haven Hospital which is now actually the Yale New Haven Hospital because it is part of Yale, Yale. <laughs> the college in New Haven Connecticut Um, Her parents' names were Agnes and Harold. Kind of an interesting fact. I don't know if he was Chinese or what the deal was, but her dad was actually born in China. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's where he spent some time before he ended up here and met her mom. Karen had only one other sibling who was a part of her group, the Carpenters. Um, and his name was Richard. He was older than her by three years, and actually he initially was the only musician in the family. He was a piano prodigy, and kind of like a fun fact about the whole thing, Karen, one of her first words or like phrases was stop it, which (laughs) was spoken in response to Richard, probably from his like incessant piano playing, which I'm sure was common at that age. Yes. Um, However, she really did enjoy dancing, and by age four, she was enrolled in tap dancing and ballet classes. This is kind of a thing that doesn't get brought up that often but um Karen actually had a very complicated relationship with her parents they kind of put all of their hopes for like fame and like musical quality and talent and everything in Richard um so when Karen became such a success they weren't really prepared for it or necessarily supportive in a lot of ways just because um her mom actually I read like an article that talked about how her mom never even told Karen that she was a good singer.
0: Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like considering how amazing of a vocalist she is. Exactly.
1: It like kind of crazy. And like from your mom, like, you know what I mean? Like moms tell their kids all the time that they're amazing at things that they're not necessarily good at. Yeah. And so to just like have your mom when you're like recognized as one of the best vocalists to ever exist Yeah. And then to have like your mom not even be willing to tell you that you're good.
0: Well, and especially like it doesn't sometimes it doesn't matter who you hear it from. Like if you're not getting that validation from your family or from your loved ones, it's like, what's the point of getting it from anyone else, too?
1: Exactly. So it's so sad. And apparently her mom just really favored Richard, like just showed Mm. a lot of favor to her older son. So it it could have contributed to a lot of the mental health that um, Karen dealt with in her life. Uh, she actually lived with them until 1974, so that complicated relationship was a very major part of her life. Yeah, wow. Um, in 1976, she bought two Century City Apartments and then combined them into one. Uh, kind of a cute thing, their doorbell actually chimed the opening notes of their song, We've Only Just Begun, oh, which that's is so nice. cute. Yes. Uh, She was a major fan of Disney, so she liked to collect a lot of their memorabilia. She played softball and baseball growing up and was like a huge fan of the New York Yankees, like studying baseball statistics. And even in the early 1970s was the pitcher on a celebrity all-star softball team.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yes.
1: So very cool. Early in her life in 1963, they ended up moving from New Haven to Los Angeles after her father got a job there. And that's where she went to high school. She was a year younger than all of her classmates, so kind of on the younger end of her grade. And they had like this cool thing in her school where if you were part of the school band,
0: you got to avoid gym. I wish that was a thing in my school or else I <laughs> too I would like, have joined the band. I totally would have been in <laughs> band. Yeah. <laughs> I did everything I could to avoid gym in middle school and high school, yeah. so I
1: our, actually our high school had a yoga class which you could take for I one did, of your gym credits. Yep, that's exactly what I, I did. I did that
0: too. That was the best.
1: <laughs> that was like actually the only year of gym I actually enjoyed, so
0: same, my senior year.
1: But yeah, I totally would have been in band if that would have been a thing. I don't know why it was, but okay. The conductor actually had taught Richard before, and so he gave her like a glockenspiel,
0: which I'm not even entirely
1: sure what a glockenspiel is. It's
0: like a it's like a xylophone. Think it's smaller than a xylophone. Or they're made out of metal. Anyway, she hated it, which I mean, fine. Yeah, Yeah. Of all the instruments to play, I can't imagine the glockenspiel (laughs) is the funnest one. So... Like, here, have a glockenspiel.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, so she actually, though, became fascinated with the performance of her friend and classmate, Frankie Chavez, who was playing the drums. And she asked if she could learn how to play those instead. So she did. She actually convinced her family to buy her a $300 Ludwig drum set because it was the drum set that her favorite drummers, Joe Morello and Ringo Starr, had. All right. And yeah, which you have to know that $300 back then is the equivalent of $2,500 dollars
0: now like that's not a casual thing (laughs) I can't (laughs) imagine as a child being like hey I need $2,500 thank you (laughs) so
1: yeah like that a very expensive gift which I didn't read a lot about her parents like money situation but from the sound of it like if you can buy your kid a $2,500 drum set they were like probably pretty well off and so she began to learn how to play drums on this Ludwig drum set Mm-hmm. and she even like she got really really good at it she taught herself how to play complicated lines um, learned the difference between traditional and matched grip and within only a year she was playing complex time signatures and it brings up i don't know a lot about drumming such as the like 5-4
0: in yeah. dave brubeck's take five uh-huh 5-4 five, is like basically all music not all music a lot of pop music is usually done in 4-4 four or, four, or mm-hmm. anything different would be like three four or six eight Five four is is very unusual because you're having to count the beat like each measure in five rather than four. And oh, okay. It, and so it's like it's not a natural way because we don't listen to music a lot like that. Yeah. The fun fact, um, "Tolerate It" by Taylor Swift is in five four. Oh, fun. Which is okay. Yes. Love that. Anyways, so yeah, it's a weird time signature. It's fun to try. I try and count that song all the time when I'm listening to it just because it's like yeah. fun to count a time signature that's not like 4-4 or something like that. That is
1: so cool. Yeah, so she got really, really good at it. Even, like, she mentioned a lot that she was initially nervous about performing in public or anything like that, but was too involved in the music to worry about it, which I love that she was like, I was so absorbed in what I was doing that it didn't matter. She graduated from Downey High School in the spring of 1967 and actually won the John Philip Sousa Band Award which I only know that name from Music Man. <laughs> <laughs> Same, to be honest. <laughs> but I know that he is a famous band person because of that play. So thank you very much. Yes. Um, and then actually ended up enrolling in Long Beach State College, where she was a music major. Oh, cool. Yes. And performed in the college choir with her older brother, Richard, as well. So the choir's director, Frank Pooler, was actually very impressed with Karen's voice. And so he started giving her lessons in order for her to develop a three octave range and oh. told her that her voice was particularly suited to pop music.
0: I mean, good
1: for it. Good for
0: it. He's right.
1: <laughs> yeah. He was right. And yeah, she is very famous for that three octave range that yeah. she had. So that's a pretty big deal her first band was called two plus two and it was an all-girl trio and it was from her friends from Downey high Ooh, um, and then they performed together had a lot of fun she was the drummer and she actually wasn't singing at all at this point other than backup and she ended up suggesting that her brother richard join the group as a member And they didn't like that idea, and the group ended up splitting. In 1965, her and Richard ended up joining another trio with Richard's college friend, Wes Jacobs. And um, he was a bassist and a tuba player, which is fun. And (laughs) so they rehearsed daily, played jazz in nightclubs, even appeared on a TV talent show called Your All-American College Show. Okay, which is cool and once again she was the drummer and wasn't singing at all at this point they had an like a guest vocalist that would come on every once in a while for female lead vocals her name was margaret Shayner, um because yeah karen wasn't even singing she didn't even consider it to be a talent she was just the drummer Wow. For this trio, they actually ended up signing a contract with RCA Records mm-hmm. and they recorded two different instrumentals, but they never ended up getting released. So, I don't know what happened there, but she almost was an instrumental artist for a while. And then they in April 1966, they were invited to audition at a session with the bassist joe osborne uh, which was a part of this like music collective called the wrecking crew and when she went to audition she expected just be the drummer but for some reason they ended up having her try singing and everyone was so impressed with her distinctive voice they had her sign a recording contract with her brother richard as a part of their record company magic lamp records and it's kind of funny because Joe Osborne actually wasn't very interested in Richard's involvement in the group. But for some reason, he got thrown in there, too. And they ended up together in this like trio duo for a while longer.
0: That's like funny that like it wasn't always just like a given that they were together. Like I, I always would imagine it that it's like, oh, two siblings just, you know, rise to the top together. So. I
1: know it's hilarious. So uh, they recorded a lot of tapes, once again, with that other friend that they had as well. It kind of seems like there was a lot of different things going on. They had some other musicians, including Gary Sims and John Bettis, um, perform with them on some demo tapes. But all of these tapes were getting rejected by record companies, and they weren't attracting a live following because at that time period, it was the 60s. So hard rock and psychedelic rock were very popular in clubs. No one really wanted to listen to like, I don't even know what you would consider the Carpenters, like
0: pop. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like chill pop, but that doesn't even really feel right either. Uh,
1: yeah. I don't, what genre are they?
0: Genres are so like weird. Like classic pop almost like, cause it yeah. has like that timeless vibe to it, you know, that it exactly. feels like it's oldie. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. Like it's less disco than ABBA. Yes.
1: But, like... But it's
0: not, like, jazz, or it's not, like... No.
1: And I wouldn't even say it's necessarily, like, Frank Sinatra-y in any way. I'm
0: gonna Google I it. don't know.
1: Soft rock. Okay. Like, I soft pop, that. soft rock. I feel like that's quite yeah. a good
0: way of summarizing it.
1: That is. I like that. So, anyway, people weren't really listening to that right then and there. However... In 1969, AM Records finally signed the Carpenters to a recording contract, and Karen started out as the group's drummer and co-lead singer. Interesting. So yes, she sang all of her vocals from behind the drum set.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. <laughs> I struggle so much like doing like a basic guitar picking pattern. Like it takes a lot of focus for me to be able to do that. And then also sing at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, to do like a drum and to like how, like that, I feel like that's really impressive.
1: <laughs> I know that's immediately what I thought of too. Plus, like the fact drums take up like a lot of space. Yeah. So. And, like, how would that work sound-wise? Because drums are so much louder than any other instrument. Like, I'm just, like, mystified by the logistics of
0: that. Yeah. Well, and, too, it's, like, I feel like I've never played the drums. It's, like, actually on my bucket list to take drum lessons because I truly cannot even fathom, like, doing, hitting two things at the same time. Yeah. I'm not very coordinated. (laughs) But, like, to be able to, like, that has to be tiring. Like, of any instrument. Like, you're using your feet and your And and, your. Arms. If this is a then she's also filmed singing. podcast, you'd see me <laughs> sweat. Yeah, Sadie is miming what drumming would I'm like trying to fathom like like belting a high note while using three of my limbs to like make an instrument make a noise. I know. It sounds absolutely insane, but yeah. like how cool?
1: Insane cool, yes. Yeah, so she was singing all of the vocals from behind the drum set and actually ended up singing most of the songs on the band's first album that was originally called Offering and then retitled Ticket to Ride after their famous cover of the Beatles song um, Ticket to Ride, which I love their cover of it. It's yeah, literally stunning, so go listen to that. Her brother wrote... 10 of the album's 13 songs and then sang on five of them the opening and concluding tracks were sung by both of them and as well as drumming karen also played bass guitar on two songs all my life and eve and then also their songs on all i can do and your wonderful parade i think oh wait no so just on all i can do it was in four five four time Mm -hmm. on the drums And then Your Wonderful Parade had multiple snare and bass drum overdubs to sound like a marching band. And she recorded all of those parts.
0: I had no (laughs) idea she was like a multi-instrumentalist. That's so cool.
1: So crazy. And then uh, obviously their cover song of the Beatles song, Ticket to Ride, Mm -hmm. ended up reaching number 54 on the Billboard Hot 100. And then their next album, 1970s Close to You, featured two hit singles they long to be close to you and we've only just begun peaking at number one and two respectively on the hot 100
0: they're okay there we go yeah which is really cool
1: close to you is literally one of my favorite songs by them i love that song my mom would sing it as a lullaby to all of us and just like change it around so she like had a version she used for my brother because his eyes were brown instead of blue And then for me, she changed it to all the boys in town. They long to be close to you. It literally the cutest.
0: That is very nice. Yeah.
1: It's a wonderful song. Highly recommend. Um, However, obviously, we were talking about the logistics of her drumming and singing. Yes. (laughs) So they ran into some issues with that with live performances. (laughs) What do you know?
0: (laughs) I I get it. That makes sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because... Um, she was only five foot four. Like she was a very short person. Okay. How tall are you? Five two. Okay, so So, yeah, close. Two inches taller than you. Yes. Yeah. So just like very short, for heaven's sakes. And it was difficult for people in the audience to see her behind the drums. (laughs) And then on top of that, like her brother was also playing other instruments, and so I think he might have been on. Like keyboard or piano or something. Okay. I guess that would be. And so he was kind of like over in the other corner. And so there was no focal point. Like no one in the audience had anywhere to look. They didn't have anywhere to focus. (laughs) Because she was hidden
0: behind the drums and he's overdoing something
1: else. Like they're both like
0: like hiding behind like instruments that can be massive. Like, you know, pianos, drums. Yeah.
1: So they're just like, oh, we don't know where to look when we're listening to this. So like live performances just weren't really, yeah, going very well. They had a lot of complaints about the fact that they didn't have anywhere to look. And so the band manager persuaded her to stand at the microphone and sing for live performances while another musician played the drums. And she really struggled with this. Because, like we talked about, drums were like her first instrument. That's yes. what she considered herself to be. And so she just didn't really want to move out from behind the drum kit. But they were like, you've got to do it. This this is going to save our live performances. And so she did. They had an album now and then in 1973. And that kind of was like the last bit before the switch where she ended up singing a lot more and drumming a lot less Mm. and then became more of the focal point of all the records and live performances with her brother kind of fading into more of a supportive role. Got it. So however, she didn't completely give up playing the drums even live. She would do like different showcases in their concert where she would like move around and play different configurations of the drums oh, or like cool. type up the crowd and other stuff. And they also, there's like a note in here that even though she had that three octave range, they kind of reached a point where they realized that her like money notes or whatever were like her lower alto voice. Yeah. um, Her contralto is what it says mm-hmm. singing. And so they really, really tried to feature that as they got more popular because that's what she became known for. And that's what everyone preferred to hear, which is incredible because I actually think she's probably one of the most, if not the most famous alto. She has a beautiful, like famously alto voice. And me and Sadie have talked about this, but like Taylor Swift is
0: definitely probably more of an alto. (laughs) I can't say it's like I'd say she's almost contra alto. Like, yeah. With how low her notes can get, I'm like, okay, ma'am, like how (laughs) amazing. I know, which is funny. So it's like alto isn't
1: necessarily like a popular singing range for a lot of lead vocalists, but I think when they do have them and they're like done well, it becomes people's favorites, Mm -hmm. which is really awesome. So kind of a funny thing is that Karen Carpenter, even though she became known as this like famous amazingly talented vocalist she always considered herself to be a drummer who
0: sang that's funny because like I i like i mean i literally didn't even know she was a drummer i just in my brain i'm like oh yeah she's like one of the best vocalists yep and she was a drummer um that's what she considered herself to be which
1: is just hilarious Um, she even continued to play drums on a lot of the studio recordings for a really long time until they reached the point that they were having problems with like the guide vocals spilling onto the drum mics Mm. and vice versa. Yes. And so they ended up just saying like, Hey, can we bring another drummer on? And the band manager again, like complimented her drumming skills, but said, look, like your greatest strength is you as a vocalist. And so that's what we want you to do (laughs) and not play drums. I just think it's funny that someone
0: else had to tell her, like, Like, get off the drum kit. Stop it. We know you like it, but no.
1: (laughs) It's like, you're a singer. Actually, in 1980, she performed a medley of standards in a duet with Ella Fitzgerald. I didn't know that. Which is cool. On the Carpenters television program, which I also didn't know they had, called Music, 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 and then in 1981, they ended up releasing their final album, Made in America, um, which at the time wasn't expected to be their last, but it was. They were both having health problems at this point, but Richards was kind of the forefront. He was addicted to qualudes. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Apparently, it's most closely related to Ambien. Oh, okay. Now, but it's been completely outlawed. Like, they don't use it at all anymore because of how addictive it was. So, he was addicted to that. She was dealing with her eating disorder, but kind of more under the radar at that time. And so, they ended up stopping a lot of their touring um, and only doing performances like these every once in a while and then kind of a little bit more about her personal life uh patula clark olivia newton john and diana warwick were her closest friends oh Um, and she's famously known as not being supportive of the women's liberation movement but it's only for one sentence that she said like i don't so i don't know if like how accurate it was or if like people even really knew entirely what the women's liberation moment movement was yeah (laughs) or if she did what do do you know what she said she said that she believed a wife should cook for her husband and when they married that's what she planned to do Hmm.
0: okay it's like (laughs) okay well you could
1: believe that and still believe that women have equal rights to men like there's nothing wrong with wanting to cook for your husband Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, believe it or not, feminists can still cook dinner. This <laughs> is so, yeah. It's
0: one thing if she would have been like, I'm against this, you know, but to, mm-hmm. to judge her, I don't know. But maybe people viewed it so simply back then. Who knows?
1: Yeah, which I think a lot of the time stuff gets summed up like that, like even now where it's like, well, I think a woman should be able to wear a skirt when she wants to. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. Like that's the entire point mm-hmm. that like, yes they should be able to do, do what, what they, they, want want to do. they want to do what to do it yes <laughs> yeah same with like stay-at-home moms or like wanting to have kids like I don't know it's just interesting that a lot of the times people think that like feminism is the end of domestic values or whatever yeah. and I don't think it has to be
0: no I think it's just not. you're
1: not forced
0: into it like you get to just so. do whatever you want
1: that's that's exactly. all we're that's all we're advocating here for <laughs> yes exactly so a lot of people thought that was kind of funny that she was like that she said that because she was one of the only successful female drummers in yeah. what was primarily an all male occupation. That there is was a good point. There's not a lot of female that drummers. Think
0: that she'd be like, "Wait a minute." Exactly. So that's
1: kind of funny. In a lot of early interviews in their early career, she didn't show any interest in marrying or dating because she didn't think a relationship would survive constant touring. Which valid? Yeah, honestly. Yeah, and then later on, even mentioned that the music business made it hard to meet people, and she didn't want to marry just someone, marry someone just for the heck of it, like didn't want to get married just to get married.
0: I mean, that's um, probably the right way of doing it.
1: <laughs> I know. Like both of those are very mature. <laughs> yes, yeah, like good for you. Yeah. Um, she admitted it to Olivia Newton-John a little bit later that she really wanted to have a happy marriage and family and dated very notable men along her lifetime including I don't know all of these names but I know some of them which means they are notable Mike Curb, Tony Danza, Terry Ellis, Mark Harmon, Steve Martin and I, Alan Osmond. Okay, cool. Like she dated Steve Martin. (laughs) Okay. Like that's impressive. Okay. I I was like, I don't even know what Steve Martin looks like when he was younger, but good for you. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, same. So after a whirlwind romance, she actually ended up marrying a real estate developer named Thomas James Burris. And he was a divorcee with an 18 year old son, which is crazy. It was nine years her senior, which isn't. That's a that's a big age gap. But it's not as crazy no, as a lot of could, Hollywood had at that time. How old
0: was she? Like She's around thirty, I think. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah. So you're like, almost personally a forty. Feel like now when you're thirty and it's like a ten year like you're you you're in the same life stage yeah. I feel. It's not like twenty I and forty agree. where it's like eh, different life stages.
1: <laughs> she actually even taped a new song because we are in love and played it at their wedding ceremony which is cute
0: that is really cute so
1: after their marriage she like desperately wanted children she was ready for their stuff in their life but her husband had undergone a vasectomy and he didn't want to get it reversed Hmm. and as sad as that is that's what ended up resulting in a divorce And it ended after only fourteen months, which to me kind of feels like you should have had that conversation before you got married. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I wonder
0: if like what changed, of like maybe did he change his mind? And I don't
1: know. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, What kind of makes it even like murkier and grosser is that he borrowed up to fifty thousand dollars, which is the equivalent of one hundred and forty-two thousand dollars from Karen. And ended up leaving her with only stocks and bonds left after their marriage. Like, literally any of the cash in her accounts or, like, physical cash, all gone. He took all of it, mm. which is not good. No. And then um they, a lot of her friends also said that he was, like, really impatient. He was really distant. But this and wasn't,
0: that like, it, a, like, the one that got away... No. Beautiful marriage that ended.
1: No. It sounds like it was kind of a good thing that it ended when it did, as sad as that is. So yeah. they just said it. It led to a lot of problems. Mm.
0: We're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Okay, so today for Artist Spotlights, I'm gonna be highlighting a painter that I found on Instagram, and it's Marin Divine Art. And like I said, she's a painter. Um, But what I love is it looks like she does some type of like Christmas series. So like one of her highlights on Instagram um, is Christmas 2020, where she shares all the paintings that she did, you know, surrounding Christmas. Um, And she's already started that for 2021. So like she did this beautiful Christmas tree and then another one like Nutcracker Ballerinas. They're just really beautiful. And even beyond, of course, anything Christmas themed, she has a lot of really beautiful paintings. She has a website that you can also check out too with her paintings. (laughs) They're pretty much all sold out. Um there's a couple that are still there, but yeah, like I said, they're really beautiful original paintings, just stunning. She does have prints though. Oh, it looks like Ooh, she does have prints. prints still available for the Christmas themed paintings that she has and they start at like $35 and they're really beautiful. Um and what's like, her name again? Um Marin Divine. Oh, wow, I love that. Yeah. So yeah, there's really beautiful. Again, that is Marin Divine art. Go follow for some really pretty holiday-themed paintings.
1: So this is a um, a little bakery. So it's called Ginger Bakes Oakland, and it is a pastry service. Ooh, And they, yeah, it's vegan in Oakland, California. And I saw one of their viral posts. They made, like, a little pie and then wrote F Thanksgiving on it and then talked about, like how thanksgiving is um kind of has a sordid past yeah and they ended up donating a lot of the portion of the profits they made for to the native american rights fund Uh uh-huh which is cool so she made a bunch of different like vegan desserts and sold them and then donated and they just also have some cute little creations going on there and
0: have cute creations
1: and she makes a lot of political statements on her cakes which we
0: appreciate. Love that. Best of both worlds. Feminism and cakes. Hooray. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Plus, like, a cake with donuts on top. Inventive.
0: I love... If I could do anything in this world, it would be bake a beautiful cake. And I can't, but one day I will.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. It's so hard. I watch my mom all the time. She just does everything flawlessly. Yeah, it's amazing. And... Yeah, I'm constantly mystified. <laughs> I told her that she's the way she is so that I don't have to be. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> then my kids get all of the cool stuff without me having to actually learn how to do any
0: of it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: But anyway, I just think it's fun to support um, a little independent bakeries like that instead of buying it from like Smith's Food King or something. Yes. Um, so Yeah. Check her out, especially if you're in Oakland, California. Let us know if more little independent pastry bakeries that you follow um, are around because I would love to order a cake from one of them. All right, now back to the show. So kind of after this is like an interesting point in her history that I did not know about at all. Karen Carpenter has a solo album Oh, that I am so sad that I have not listened to at all. I found it. Every time I've gone to listen to her, I've just looked up The Carpenters. That's what I knew them as. That's the albums I had. Um, She actually has a solo album that was released after her death called Karen Carpenter. And okay, so kind of what's interesting about this is that what happened was her brother Richard was taking a year off to treat his addiction And so she ended up working with producer Phil Ramone and creating music that was very different from the Carpenters material. So the Carpenters kind of became known as this like family friendly, like Christmas music, you know, like radio favorite kind of deal. Like you could listen to it with your mom and your grandparents and your kids and everyone would enjoy it. Yeah. Which I think is an incredible thing to be able to do with a genre that like not a lot of people are able to manage. Yeah, I agree. However, it did lean towards more of that, like, family-friendly and gave her a very, like, goody, two-shoes, America sweetheart kind of reputation that can be a little bit toxic sometimes. when everyone's, like, expecting you to be an angelic human being
0: and you're a normal person. (laughs) It's The first thing that my mind goes to is, like, Hannah Montana.
1: Exactly. Of, like, when
0: everyone freaked out when she, like... almost kind of slid down a pole during a performance when like now looking back, it was like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. Why were we so mad about that?
1: Anyways. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like the first instance of any more maturity. Yeah. A lot of the times it leads to some problems. So what happened is that she just kind of wanted to do something a little different. So they kind of created music That was a little bit more disco, a little bit more up tempo. had some more mature lyrics. Lyrics started taking advantage of her full upper vocal register as well. So like really letting her expand upon those, that three octave Mm -hmm. vocal range that she had. And it got shut down by, from the sound of it, mainly her brother. Weird. Um, Yeah. I found this whole article that kind of talks about it and obviously she wrote this album during the year of like her bad marriage their record sales started to like go down because they weren't releasing new music nothing Mm -hmm. new was coming out and then her brother's in the hospital with a drug addiction and she's dealing with an eating disorder yeah and so she's writing this album and um she's talking to her friend Ramon like the producer that she was producing it with Uh and actually ended up saying like can I use the f-word and he was like you're a grown woman say whatever you want and she was like it's an effing great album
0: oh (laughs) wow so she's very much like even when she's talking about her music it's not even in the music
1: but she was just like really proud of it apparently when she got up to perform it for the record producers and her brother so in order to even like be able to do The solo album, she like pled with her brother for months because uh, I think he owned the rights to like the Carpenters and like, therefore kind of her voice
0: just kind of messed
1: up. Um, But because he was in the hospital, she was like, hey, I don't want to just sit here. Like, I want to do something. Can I write album? And he was like, fine, go ahead, I guess. And so her and her producer, that's when they started working on it. And it was actually the producer's idea to kind of mature her sound a little bit because he's like, look, you're older. Like, <laughs> Your fans aren't teenagers anymore. Yeah. Let's not make like a sexually clueless song. Like let's write something a little bit more grown up. And so she was like, okay, um, that's a good idea. Like my friend Olivia Newton-John used Grease to kind of change herself from like the girl next door to like, yeah, they actually quote it in here as like the slut next door. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like a slightly more mature version of yourself a little bit sexier a little bit more adult and so she's like okay let's try it out like let's write something like this let's have some fun with it and so she started doing that the problem was that no one was supportive other than Ramon
0: weird
1: he mentioned that like he returned after I think a couple of months to start recording again and she had lost a ton of weight um, he found some stuff all over the house that was showing that she was, like, really cutting back on her eating. And uh, he thinks that she had played solo tracks for her parents, and they didn't like them. Mm. And so it had kind of led to some problems. One of the issues was that a few years e. El- earlier president nixon had said like young america at its best about the carpenters like said oh. that they were just like the epitome of young america like and then the she whole, ended whole
0: up- good wholesome all american dream yes. kind of a thing exactly
1: and then she had a line in one of her songs that said i remember the first time i laid more than eyes
0: on you Mm. Which is literally such a classic. I was going to say literally like of all the (laughs) ways you could talk about sex in a song. Like how tame is that? (laughs) I know. I actually think it's kind of a sweet way to say something like
1: that. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, okay. But he just said that she was just kind of like withering away in front of him because she was like trying so hard to do something. And it just like no one around her except for him really cared and then it kind of got worse when after they finished recording 11 of the 21 songs well they had 21 songs they recorded all of them then they decided to go up and do this like playthrough of the songs for like the label presidents Uh and her brother and they played through 11 of them and (laughs) silence She thought that they would come up and hug her after every track or clap or be like, wow, this was great. And nothing. They just sat there. That is like insanely weird. Exactly. So it was just kind of like. It it sounds like it was really rude. They were kind of expecting more like wedding graduation songs, you know, Mm. a lot of what the Carpenters had become known for. And here she was just like writing something that was like different. Her brother actually sounds like he was the worst of all of the critics. He said the notes um, were too high for her voice, which I don't think that could have been true because she had a three octave range. Like obviously she could hit those notes. <laughs> yeah, but he liked the lower range. He also, this one is insane to me, he accused Karen of stealing the carpenter sound because some of the harmonies sounded like some of their old music. Which, how can you steal a song that you are? Like, how can you steal a sound that you are? Like, like she the, you is the Carpenter's sound. Just kind of an absolute mess. like <laughs> So it kind of just got put on the back track because right after that, like, Richard was healthier. He was kind of pressuring, pressuring her to go back into being a part of the Carpenters together and starting on the new album together. And so she just kind of gave up. And Ugh. it never got released during her lifetime.
0: I wanna, which... I can't wait to go listen to it now. I'm I know. Going to listen
1: same. to it after this. So that was kind of, and that, sadly, like right after that was pretty much the end um, of her life, which was just very sudden and, and very awful. I'm going to talk a little bit about the eating disorder now, so you don't have to stick around if you don't want to. Basically, her eating disorder started in high school. And just continued throughout the rest of her life. Um, A lot of the times they talk about how like anorexia and bulimia are often like a sign of like needing control Mm -hmm. in your personal life. And with a band that was kind of controlled by her brother, including even her voice, her sound, everything like that. Parents who weren't supportive. um, It just kind of led to this like perfect scenario, like perfect in a bad way (laughs) that she became, like, the prime candidate for something like this. And then going from behind the drum kit to the front of the stage, um, when she had always considered herself more of, like, a bigger boned person. And even though she was, like, very short, she just, you know, the pressure of being in the front of a bunch of people and having people talk about you, and then they got really famous, and then, you know, just all of that. It just put this, like, it was this perfect storm of stuff that led her to develop this eating disorder that continued through her entire life. She was basically addicted to laxatives. I don't think there's any other way to say it. She would have up to 80 to 90 tablets per night (gasps) towards the end of her lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, That's so sad. Yeah, and was constantly um, fluctuating very, very under 100 pounds, which I think we talked about it. That's just Whew, it's not a good weight for an adult woman. No. <laughs> Women naturally have more body fat. It's a natural, normal thing. And so just to be under 100 pounds is already thats very risky. She ended up being hospitalized for some point and they had to give her this treatment in order to try and get her to gain some weight back. Basically, they just, like, give you artificial nutrients. So, basically, injecting you with as many nutrients as they can in order to keep you alive. And uh, right before she passed away, she did that, and then she had gained 10 pounds in a week, went back home for Thanksgiving, and was finally over 100 pounds for one of the first times in, like, over a decade. And um, even, like, ate Thanksgiving dinner, like, a lot of it, and just seemed more lively in herself on february 4th 1983 she collapsed in her bedroom at her parents home and paramedics found her heart beating once every 10 seconds oh my gosh and she ended up being pronounced dead at downey community hospital at 9 51 a.m so just absolutely sad a lot of friends and family were not really satisfied with the coroner's report because she had, like, a huge amount of ipecac in her system, which is used to induce vomiting after, like, you've been poisoned. And so they were worried that maybe there was, like, some miss What's it called?
0: Like foul play?
1: Yeah. They were worried that maybe foul play was involved because she had just, like, finalized the divorce and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. However... It is believed she was using the Ipecac in order to induce vomiting on her own. Yeah. Along with laxatives and other things that were dealing with that. Um, And at the end of the day, talking to the coroner, they just realized that, like, it wasn't even necessarily the Ipecac or the laxatives. It was just the fact that, like, she had been so deprived of nutrients for so long that her body just gave up. It. which is absolutely tragic like ugh. and the saddest part is that like besides that one treatment she got for it there was like nothing else that really ever happened where they like her family and friends were like hey well and i feel like to
0: even <laughs> seek just, help like i think now there is a little bit more information and people talk about it and like there's therapists that specialize and you know like there is treatments for it but i feel like then you know like 30 40 years ago like I don't feel like the same conversations were happening even just because like in my lifetime I feel like I've seen conversations around mental health improve so I can only imagine like how bad it was then
1: yeah actually what's kind of sad but like really I don't know like uh, like if anything good came out of her death of that way it's the fact that it really raised awareness of the fact that you could die from something like that like that this was like something Um, that should be
0: taken seriously
1: yes like people knew what anorexic like was they knew that it was like not eating and the other things like that but it was kind of joked around about a lot it wasn't ever taken seriously it wasn't considered like a very serious condition condition that could lead to anything horrible Mm -hmm. and so by her dying from essentially not eating like not taking care of herself like nothing else like that literally was what it was it finally made people start paying attention to the fact that that's something that needed to be fixed before yeah. someone got to that point so really really sad um and kind of tragic that she in a lot of ways became the poster child for eating disorders yeah. which
0: it's like it's sad that like that's kind of what she's known as now like when you yeah. said Karen Carmichael like I don't know much about her life but I do know that she passed away from an eating disorder exactly like I feel like I remember in our health textbooks in like eighth Mm -hmm. grade there was like a picture of her of like when they yeah eating disorders are serious yeah Yeah, for that like that brief day obviously they still aren't talking about it perfectly but I remember like it's sad that she like (laughs) is the poster child of exactly
1: but it's like great that it brought more awareness so it's kind of like that double thing where it's Mm -hmm. like without her passing away from something like that would we have gotten as much awareness towards it you know but then it's like also you know she didn't yeah Yeah. (laughs) she did more than just yeah that which speaking of which she her vocalist like her singing and her performances and everything else their music has inspired artists such as Madonna, Sheryl Crow, Pat Metheny, Sonic Youth, Shania Twain Paul McCartney, even, you know who he is, the Uh, Beatles member? I've heard of him (laughs) once or twice, perhaps. (laughs) Paul McCartney ended up calling her the best female voice in the world. Wow. Melodic, tuneful, and distinctive. Um, Elton John said she was one of the greatest voices of our lifetime, which is really nice.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, John Lennon uh, approached her once in a Los Angeles restaurant and told her, I want to tell you love that you've got a fabulous voice which is so nice to hear um and also her drumming was praised by many musicians including hal blaine cubby o'brien and buddy rich um and even featured in modern drummer magazine and in 1975 she was voted the best rock drummer in a poll of playboy readers that's beating led zeppelin's drummer
0: john bonham How did I not know she was a drummer? Like, this is (laughs) mind-blowing to me. Post-mortemly, in October 12th,
1: 1983, her and her brother, the singing group The Carpenters, received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 1999, Karen Carpenter was listed as number 29 on the list of the 100 Greatest Women of Rock and Roll, and on 2010, Rolling Stone ranked... Her as number 94 on its list of the hundred, 100 greatest singers of all time, calling her voice impossibly lush and almost shockingly intimate, mm. saying that even the sappiest songs sound like she was staring directly into your eyes. Oh, that's a cool way of saying it. Her family, after her death, also started the Karen A. Carpenter Memorial Foundation, raising money on research for anorexia nervosa and other eating disorders and helping contribute to further research and treatment if only they could have treated her nicely while she was still alive but it's fine (laughs) i think people just didn't get that like the way you treat people could actually lead to stuff like
0: that (laughs) like hey treat people kindly is not some like nice (laughs) sentiment like there's weight to that here yeah oh my gosh just funny Oh, Oh, and sad, obviously. Obviously. There's been like
1: a couple of biographies about her. Most notably, there's a 43-minute film titled Superstar, The Karen Carpenter Story. It was directed by Todd Haynes and released in 1987. And it's actually all stop motion of Barbie dolls as the characters. No way. Which is like really interesting. Um, It was actually withdrawn from circulation in 1990 because... um, the director lost a copyright infringement lawsuit filed by Richard Carpenter for using the music. Whoa. So yes, it was banned. It was taken off. However, you can find it on YouTube and I did watch the opening (laughs)
0: to it.
1: No way. I'm going to watch (laughs) that. It's actually, it's considered a cult film. It has a cult following and it was even listed on Entertainment Weekly's um, list of like the top 50 cult movies like cult classics in 2003. I mean stop so, motion
0: using Barbies is something I'm very intrigued on now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like oh.
1: Yeah and it was like really highly acclaimed um, and That's it has cool. a very devoted fan base so if you want to see it you can go watch it on YouTube just don't tell Richard Carpenter. Um, <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah then there was also a made for TV movie called The Karen Carpenter Story in 1989 with Cynthia Gibb in the title role of Karen Carpenter lip-syncing the songs to her recorded voice and kind of depicting different scenes of like their career, her marriage, and all of that stuff. And then also her brother helped in the production of one of the documentaries Close to You, Remembering the Carpenters, and Only Yesterday, The Carpenter Story. Um, there's also a biography written about her called *Little Girl Blue*, that was a different perspective um, that focused a lot more on like interviews with friends and associates okay. and like other people who knew her. And the New York Times listed it as one of the saddest tales in pop, oh. which makes it me feel like it was a very sad book. <laughs> really cool that they were able to give kind of so many perspectives on her life. Richard Carpenter is actually still alive. He's 49 years old and lives in Downey, California near his mother. Um, he ended up marrying his cousin. Oh. Uh, which I hope it's not his first cousin, but it didn't specify, so... <laughs> Maybe she is. He married his cousin, Mary Rudolph, and they have four kids together. Um, In 1987, he made his own solo album called Time, which was considered a critical and commercial failure. And for the rest of his life, he has spent most of his time overseeing and repackaging the Carpenter's recordings and living Mm. very handsomely off of that. I mean, I'm sure, yes. Kind of interesting note about her solo album, Richard refused to release it for many years because he thought it was her final wish and that she didn't like the album and didn't want it to be released however as we know from her talking to her producer she thought it was effing good so um only after years and years of fans and writers begging him to release this last piece that they had of karen carpenter and her voice he released it And um, when people asked if there was any dedication on the album, he said that it was in one of her notes, it was dedicated to my
0: brother, Richard, with all my heart. I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like this man. Yeah. And um, it is notable
1: to say that he did release her album after his album was a critical failure Hmm. and he made all of the royalties off of it, obviously. So just kind of an interesting I
0: hate that like he's controlling this narrative now.
1: Which is it also kinda of makes me want to watch like the Barbie one more. because, like Because maybe like he didn't banned like it. it. Mm. So maybe he didn't appreciate the way it was like him. him? Yeah, or anything like that. So I'm like, hmm, what's in the that conspiracy? that he didn't like <laughs> No, I ooh, I'm very <laughs> interested. It's just really cool to like read about someone like this that I felt like played such a major part. In my childhood, but not because of the person she was, just because of their art, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, finding out more about her and, like, the life that she had and just everything like that. Like, I feel like you can't listen to a Karen Carpenter song and not love her voice Oh, it's
0: instantly captivating. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Like,
1: there's just something about it that you're just like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. Like, how does someone... And it has a quality to it that I just think that like, I haven't, I don't know anyone that like has something kind of like that. Like maybe you could compare it to Adele, maybe, but like I've even heard of people. I just feel like she has it's like so a universally yeah, like, loved,
0: I can't voice. Compare it or like, yeah, I it's so distinct and beautiful.
1: Exactly. So if you haven't listened to The Carpenters, go. Or listen if to you the have Carpenters. and you haven't heard her solo album, I'm gonna be listening to that. I am so excited
0: to listen to that solo album.
1: Me too. And they're perfect for Christmas. Like literally prime time right now. Go listen Go to the Carpenters stream. album. Yeah. Album? Like seriously. One of the just, best. And what a wonderful, talented, like literally multi-talented, oh, incredible so person. So talented. That literally, like is the epitome of the phrase gone too soon.
0: Uh, yes absolutely anyway that's karen carpenter i love karen carpenter
1: i do too i love her even more now
0: yeah i I love her even more now just you know
1: it's the it's the season well if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes then please feel free to give us a rating and review we'd love it and you don't have to you could just keep listening that's also great <laughs> like we're just happy you're here oh <laughs> well, we are we are really happy you're here and i hope all of you are enjoying this lovely december um and be we'll be year. back again next week with another episode yes
0: of more than a muse.